Good morning, church. Will you stand with us here in the room? Let's worship together. Let's sing this. Arise, my soul. Remember this. He took my sin and he buried it. No longer I who live. Now Jesus lives in me. For I was dead in sin, but I woke up to see the light. saved my soul all else is lost the grip of fear has no hold on me so where oh dear where is your sting no For I was dead in 
is for his glory. He is working out all things for his glory and the good of his people and our joy. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm so, so glad you're here. I'm so glad we can worship together as his church. Thank you for joining us and those who are watching online as well. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. And I just wanna read from Psalm 102 to help us remember the significance of what we're doing this morning, to remind ourselves of the importance and how this is so much greater than us. It's so good to gather as God's people and to remind ourselves of truth as we sing, we remind our own hearts, we remind each other. And his word says in Psalm 102, starting at verse 12, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height from heaven the Lord looked at the earth. To hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for saving us, for rescuing us, for setting us free to do what we were created to do, which is to worship you. So Lord, we worship you, recognizing that all is for your glory, that you have saved us, you have created us in Christ Jesus for the praise of your glory. So we praise you for those yet to be created, for future generations, for their sake we praise you. We praise you joining our voices to your church around the world, to many who are worshiping you now this very moment, lifting up your name. We worship you joining the generations of old, saints of old, the cloud of witnesses who are around your throne worshiping your name. We worship joining the song of heaven happening at this very moment, bringing praise to the Lord of Lords, to the King of Kings, to the lamb that was slain. So Lord, receive the highest praises of your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, we worship you.
scriptures remind us of these words. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus is all for you, through you, and from you. You are supreme over all things. And our cry this morning is reign supreme in our hearts, in our church. We long for you. We want to see you exalted, lifted up. The name above all names. There is no one like you. There is no one like you. You are living water. Satisfy us with your goodness so that we will sing for joy all of our days. Oh, Lord, make us a people, a singing people, a joyful people, a satisfied people so that the nations will see that there is no one like you. Let's sing this together. Hallelujah to the name above all names. Oh my. 
Spirit is speaking our freedom and death and its curse have no claim our God is one Amen. So, church, it's our desire, it's our hope that we as a community of believers, that we fulfill God's mission. Part of the way that we do that is through partnering with leaders from around the world. I want to share a quick story with you. Uh, in Russia, we're working with Paval and Natasha Alexandrov. Maybe some of you have met them in the past. But for 23 years, these two have been sharing the gospel with the Chuvash ethnic community using radio. They've been sending out the gospel message through the airwaves. And God's been using their radio broadcast to meet the needs of people all across their area. A woman recently told Natasha, she said this, my heart has come alive again. What I looked for so long I have found in the message of the Bible. It gave me compassion to forgive my harsh and abusive father. I have a sick sister sick with cancer in another city. Please send her a gospel in Chuvash as well. So while the pandemic has impacted a variety of ways in our lives, it doesn't stop the gospel. And so they are continuing to, to broadcast during these stressful times. The way that this happens is through generous givers like you. See, we want to be a church that is generous with the blessings that God gives us 
so that we can see his kingdom expand in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and in Russia. So I want to encourage you right now to give. You can go to wheatonbible.org give and you can uh, give that way. Or on your way out, I want to encourage you to, to give in the boxes by the door. That way we continue to pursue the mission that God has given us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get the opportunity to to give, that you have given us the opportunity to be given these blessings by you so that we can give back and see your kingdom expand. And so right now, I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts if there are things that are keeping our heart from being generous with our time, with our words, with our finances, I ask that you would remove that. And I pray, Lord, that you would use our church to fulfill the Great Commission. Use us and our communities here and and help us partner well with our leaders around the world. And so may you use these gifts for your glory, not our own, but for you. And it's your name I pray, amen. Thanks for partnering with us, church. Well, good morning, friends. It is good to see all of you. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and it has just been a blessing to get to worship with you today here in this room and to see all your faces. And if you're with us online, I want to welcome you as well. If this is your first time checking us out online and you have questions, I want you to drop those in the comment box. Let us know how we can be praying for you and uh, answer any questions you may have. So thanks for joining us this morning. Well, we have uh, been in a series, and uh, we're going to continue that uh, here this morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love the spring weather from this past week. Amen? Man, why do we live here? Um, With the change of season and spring coming soon and feeling that warmth, it was a reminder of what the seasons actually do for us. The seasons actually remind us of the beauty that is coming, the beauty of Easter. See, in a couple weeks, we're going to be spending time focusing on the time that Jesus was arrested when he was crucified, when he was treated brutally, died, and rose again. And so for the past eight weeks, we have been in the book of John focusing on this text known as the Upper Room Discourse. This is a time where Jesus was sharing some of his final thoughts in his final hours with those that were the most precious to him, his disciples. And so he spent time teaching, and so we've been walking through that as Jesus then teaches us. And so today, I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out and open them to John 17. So in John 17, we see a transition from this 
teaching that uh, Jesus has been doing, and he shifts gears a little bit and moves into a prayer. So I want you to see, we're going to look at the first five verses of that prayer this morning, and I want you to see what Jesus is doing there. And as we do that, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Now, you might be wondering, why in the world do we do this? Well, we stand because we believe that this is the word of God that is living and active and that it is the, the very word that speaks transformation into our lives. And so we stand in reverence that God gave this word to us. So I want you to follow along with me in John 17. This is what the text says. It says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So, Father, I ask that in these moments, whether we're sitting in a seat in this auditorium or we are sitting on a couch at home, I pray that you would move all distractions and use your word to speak into our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be disciples that are obedient and desiring to hear from you. And so we invite you into this place to speak. Have your way. And it's your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you might know of Pastor John Piper. Piper was a, a pastor for many, many years in Minnesota and um, has been there for a long time running a ministry um, as well, and he writes many, many books. In one of his books, he tells a story. Piper tells this story about this uh, couple that they ended up retiring early. He was 59 and she was 51. And so uh, Piper ends up saying this. He says, the couple took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast. Now they live in Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Now, Piper went on to say this. He says, picture them before Jesus on the day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? And then Piper says, what a tragedy. See, uh, I share that thought with you because you and I live our lives, whether we're in school or we're in the workforce or uh, we're just uh, in our neighborhood, in our home, or we're in the retirement years, wherever it is, we live placing glory somewhere. Potentially, we place glory on thinking that that type of retirement year is beautiful. 
See, we, if you didn't know this, are glory-giving factories. You are. You're a glory-giving factory. You, your life. See, we have the ability to give glory to a variety of places and people, men, women, wherever it may be. And we live to get recognition from others. We desire others to glorify us. And so we live glorifying the opinion that others might have of us. Or we live glorifying the possessions that we have or the bank account that we have. We glorify the comfortable life we might be living. We are glorifying factories. And we do it every day. So I want you to think for a second. How, who, or what are you glorifying? What does your life represent? What is your life glorifying each and every day that you breathe? Where are you putting your attention? See, in John 17, we, uh, prior to this, we have read all of these teachings. We spent the last eight weeks looking at it, looking at the teachings that Jesus gives to the disciples. And then we get to this prayer. And Jesus is letting us in on an opportunity to see, see and hear what he desires for our life. This is a, a, a beautiful piece, and it's a piece that I believe in these first five verses of the chapter teaches us something that we have to walk out these doors and remember every moment of our lives. It's, it's simply this. It's, it's that a life lived to glorify God is a life lived in the shadow of the cross. You might be saying, I want to glorify God with my life, and I'm going to tell you that the only way that you can do that is to live a life in the shadow of the cross. To be well aware of that. See, we just spent time worshiping, raising our voices, and giving glory to the King of Kings. And that glory comes through in the text that we look at. And so this morning, I want to look at three areas. We're going to look at uh, glory persevered, we're going to look at glory known, and we're going to look at glory accomplished. So we're going to dive in there. So let's, let's start looking as we look at this, uh, these first verses, and we see that Jesus has finished his teaching. He now changes his posture. He doesn't invite the, the disciples to pray with him. He just starts praying. And he lifts his eyes towards heaven, and what many scholars would say is he probably was also raising his hands because that's what the Jews would do when they would pray. And so he is praying, giving all attention to God the Father. Now remember the timing of all this. See, he prays these words hours from the moment that he is going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten. He's going to stand trial. He's going to be laid down on a wooden cross with nails driven into him. And he's going to be viewed by humanity as a worthless criminal. And he's going to die. And his prayer starts with the hour 
has come. So Jesus is praying this prayer. Now notice, this is not him saying that he's going to teach the disciples how to pray. That's not what is happening here. But any time that Jesus speaks, we have to look at it as it's a teaching time for us to see what his desires are. In fact, if you were to go back to Matthew 6 in the Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus was preaching a sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he does all this teaching, but one of the things he teaches about is he teaches his disciples and the people there, as well as us, how to pray. In fact, when you look at it and, and you read it in your scriptures, you're going to see that it is titled the Lord's Prayer. Well, I want to kind of offer a recommendation here, and I hope none of you scream at me and want to get rid of me, but this is my recommendation that we stop calling the prayer in Matthew 6 the Lord's Prayer. And there's a reason for that. Think about what the Lord's Prayer consists of. He talks about praying for forgiveness. Well, when in the world would Jesus ever have to pray for forgiveness? He's sinless. He was the perfect man, and he came, and he was sinless. He doesn't have to pray for forgiveness. We have to. So what I would recommend is that we end up looking at that prayer and we say, that is maybe something that should be called the disciples' prayer because that's the prayer that disciples should pray. And then we get to John 17, and I believe John 17 is actually the Lord's prayer because what Jesus says in this prayer is him saying, this is what my relationship with the Father looks like. It's him pulling back the curtain and and allowing us to hear how he, the Son of God, communicates with God the Father. This is the Lord's prayer. And when we view it that way, we can then see how he is praying and what his desires are for us. In fact, it can be said that if you listen to the prayers of people, you can usually figure out what their relationship is like with God. Now, don't start judging one another's prayers, but what I'm saying is if you listen to it and if you listen to Jesus' prayer, you're going to be able to understand what his relationship with God the Father is like. And so in verses 1 and 2, we end up seeing this. We end up seeing that glory persevered. What does that mean? What's that looking at? And so what we have to look at is this. First, we have to start with what the very first words that he says, Father, the hour has come. Now that's a key phrase, and if you underline your Bible, I would underline that phrase. But what is this hour? See, what this hour is, is it's actually known as the hour of glorification. Jesus is saying now that the hour of glorification has come. It's now present. It's now being ushered in. It's a reference to timing. But this is actually different than the rest of the book of John. See, I I would encourage you to read the entire book. If you start in in John 1 and go to 17, you're going to see a different phrase. In fact, in John 2, we find Jesus uh, performing his first miracle. He's at a wedding, and his mother comes to him. 
It says they're out of wine. And Jesus looks at her and says, what does that have to do with me? And he ends up saying this phrase, my hour has not yet come. But then in John 17, he says, the hour has come. See, at that point in John 2, Jesus understands and he knew that there was much that he was to be doing prior to the hour of glorification. And so the hour comes and Jesus is referring to this as his time to go to the cross. To put it simply, we could read this and the way that we could read it is this way, is that Jesus is talking to God and saying, Father, I want to glorify you, so send me to my death. I don't know of too many people that would say that. He's saying, send me to my death. He's praying this way because he sees God in every aspect of his life, whether he's breathing or dying. God is present and involved. He's, he's saying, this, everything I'm doing has to do with God and God's will. So think of your prayers for a second. Think about how you pray. In fact, judge yourself in some way. Ask yourself, what is it, how do I pray, and how do I pray in my deepest trials? I would imagine it goes something like this, that you are asking for strength, that you're asking for something or, or someone, or you're asking for relief or a taking away of the trial that's in your life. That's what we tend to do. We often pray to try to conform God to our, our agenda, right? But Jesus turns it upside down and he shows us something different. In John 17, he is praying to continually conform his will to the will of the Father. Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. He, he's saying it's here. See, what Jesus is showing us is that instead of viewing prayer as a supplement, Jesus views prayer as the feast of nourishment. How do you view prayer? How do you view the time that you spend in prayer? See, what he's doing is he is praying for the perseverance of God's will to be lived out through him in the darkest hours of his life. See, Jesus lived to glorify God, and he knows that in a matter of hours, the time that God is going to be most glorified was when he was hanging on a cross. The hardest moment, the most brutal moment of his life is when God is going to be most glorified. And so God sent him, and the text says in verse 2, for he, you granted him authority over all people. Why did he give him authority? 
Well, it's because he got authority from God the Father so that he can give you and I something. Simply eternal life. See, glory persevered because Jesus came into the world to fulfill the will of the Father so that he may give you the very thing that you don't deserve. He gave you the very thing that you actually could not earn yourself. You might look at this and and go, well, I I try to live a good life and I try to be morally right and that's fine and all, but when you look at how people responded to Jesus when he walked this earth, we respond the same way. I mean, let's face it, all of us at some point have been mad at Jesus because of the circumstances in our life. I would imagine for many of us, we question him at times. We wonder about his authenticity. We wonder if he hears us, if he really cares. And those are all the reactions of the people that you read in the Gospels. We aren't any different from them. See, you and I will never be able to earn the eternal life that Jesus was given authority to give to us. So, Jesus ends up saying, I'm giving, I'm persevering so that I can give glory to God by giving you and me the eternal life we don't deserve. Get this, he left perfect to persevere to come into a world that is broken. To give us the beautiful thing that we need so desperately. See, the Father gave him authority over all people, over you and me. And then, what is his desire? Jesus' desire was to lay down his life for you. We know it's his desire because of the way he prays. He desired to lay down his life. And so all the teaching, all the miracles, all the time spent with all these different social classes and all the questions and all the dealing with ungrateful people and all the love that he poured out on so many uh, people was so that he could be giving glory to God the Father. And he persevered through all of it. I got to be honest I get tired of people sometimes. But yet Jesus responds and says, I'm going to give glory to God the Father, and so I'm going to persevere for his will. And so his will may be seen. So glory persevered, and then what we see in verse 3 is that we see that glory is known. Look at what the text says in John 17, 3. It says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, what Jesus is doing here is he is building off of verse 2, and, and he's highlighting some of these things of eternal life and knowing God, the only true God, not any God, the only true God and himself. Let me ask you this, how do you know greatness? How do you know when greatness is in front of you? 
For some of you, maybe you love sports. You can think about this in a sports way or maybe uh, a musician. How do you know you are in front of greatness? When I was in college, I had the opportunity for two and a half weeks to be the ball boy for Dream Team 2. I was in the practices. I got to be on the hotel floor with them. I got to just spend time sitting and talking. And uh, I spent time uh, sitting there and talking with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. I mean, I knew these guys. I watched them. I watched everything. I knew they were great because of the things that they were doing on a basketball court. I was able to see the videos of them when they were younger and see the greatness and, and how that it evolved over time. I had the pictures of greatness in my mind, and then I could see them right in front of me, how they worked out, how they spent time with others and talked to others and, and played the game and listened to their coach. And I watched all of this. And for those two and a half weeks, I honestly was sitting here going, I know Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley. Now here's the shocker. I haven't talked to them since those weeks. (laughs) See, I can know greatness from a distance. I mean, I spent a little bit of time, and and for two and a half weeks, I was an acquaintance. But I think glory is actually better than greatness. And what Jesus says here is that he's not offering you and me to be an acquaintance. He's offering us to know him deeply. See, whenever we look at this text, one of the things we have to understand is is that whenever we look at this, eternal life is given, how? By knowing who God is, by knowing who Jesus is, and sitting there and being in awe of God. See, when we look at this, what we have to understand is that word knowing in in Hebrew has a lot rolled up into it. So Jesus, who is is praying this prayer, he ends up saying, I want them to know who you are, God. I want you to experience, I want them to experience you, have intimacy with you, be obedient and have commitment towards you, and having a love for him. That's what knowing is. It's having all of those things wrapped up. It's not just knowing a name. He is saying you can know the glory that is a person. See, when this type of knowledge, when that type of knowledge invades your life, it understands and it sees the reality of Jesus on the cross. It sees the willing sacrifice and and seeing that he came not to just make you a better moral person. He came to transform your life and for you to see the glory of God involved in your life. See, when when Jesus is saying this, what he ends up uh, pointing us to is, is really this, that the cross 
is going to reveal the love that God has for us. But we can't stop at the cross. What we end up seeing is that really the love is at the cross and that the resurrection will reveal the power of God's glory. That's why we celebrate on Easter. He willingly goes because he wants, to, wants us to live in the light of glory known. So do you see it? Do you see Jesus? That he is praying that eternal life is offered knowing the glory of God. And that he takes the actions, the sacrificial actions, so that you may experience it. Glory can be known, and if you want to live a life to glorify God, it's lived in the shadow of the cross. So glory persevered and glory is known. And then we get to verse 4 where glory accomplished. Glory accomplished so much. Look at verse 4. It says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So in this sentence, Jesus is confirming basically for us that his life, every word that he spoke, every person he heals, every confrontation he had, every miracle he performed, everything was spent and given for the glory of God. Not for him, but for his Father in heaven. And so he does this, and so glory is accomplished because Jesus left perfect and came into the world that he was a part of creating. And he says, I have accomplished everything that he has been sent to do. I don't know about you, but this happens to me sometimes. Um, I will vacuum at our house, okay? Okay. So I'll get the vacuum out, and I'll start vacuuming. And then I leave. And what I leave behind is the vacuum. Now my wife will say, what, like, what's going on here? What happened? And what I ended up doing is I actually took the job, and I went to about 75%. I didn't really finish the job, because I didn't put anything away. But what Jesus is saying here is, I didn't come and just do 75% of God's will. I came and I ended up living out 100% of accomplishing what God sent me to do. But what we read here is that Jesus is saying that he's accomplished it, but he hasn't gone to the cross yet. So how can he say that? And it's where we end up getting a glimpse into the will of Jesus. See, Jesus is praying that in his life, he's glorified the Father. But he's also stating that he is so firm in who he is as the Son of God that he is going to glorify God by fulfilling his will and going to the cross. He's saying, I've done all of this, and I will do the cross. I will enter that space. See, Jesus understood something that we 
desperately need to understand. We need to see Jesus in this light. It says, in many ways, we have to look at this and go, he understood that he had accomplished a lot and he was accomplishing exactly what God wanted to do. But the key is, is that Jesus' saving work didn't start on a cross at Golgotha. His saving work actually started in a manger in Bethlehem. Because every aspect of his life, even in infancy, was for the glory of God the Father. We need to view Jesus in the same light. Jesus didn't, Jesus wasn't just great on the cross. He was pointing us to the Father even as a child. His saving work started there. And he came and he's saying, look, this is what I have done. And he unites with humanity so that he could end up accomplishing the will of the Father. And that will was so that you could know him so that you wouldn't be completely uh, destined for hell. So that your sin would be taken care of. He ended up fulfilling everything God wanted him to do. So Jesus is actually glory accomplished. That's why we praise him. That's why you should be worshiping him with loud voices. That's why when we leave here, we got to be going, I want to live every moment of every day because I've seen it in the life of Jesus and Jesus has transformed me and he's done this for me that I will give him praise in all circumstance, in all seasons, wherever I go. So we read these five verses we're going to look at the rest of the prayer in the weeks to come, but, but what do these five verses have to do with us? I mean, when we look at this, what does it mean? What, what, what am I supposed to do? And what I want to encourage you to do is today, take some time and sit in the reality that you are a child of the glorious King. And that because of that, your understanding, if you're a believer, is that your understanding is that Jesus, when he left, he ended up giving you the Holy Spirit. And he gave you the Holy Spirit to end up being faithful and to be committed and to participate in the purpose and assignment that you have been given to make God known everywhere. That in the hard times, that the Holy Spirit is going to give you the strength to persevere in the circumstances. And then the prayer is, is that at the end of your days, that it can be said that you accomplished the perfect good will of God. Not your will, but his See, the glory that we see at the cross and the powerful glory at the resurrection 
is an invitation for you and me to participate with the glory of God. We see that because if you jump down in the prayer uh, to verse 22, Jesus says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. See, the glory that Jesus prays about in verse 1 is a glory that we can experience, and as his church, we make him known. As his church, we are united around the glory of the cross. And so how do you pray? How are you giving glory to God the Father? What do you need to set aside as the foolish places that you are giving glory? And how are you going to live in the shadow of the cross? Because a life lived to glorify God is a life lived in the shadow of the cross. Father, I am blown away that in this prayer we see your generosity. And I'm blown away that we have the opportunity to serve a Savior that in the hardest time of his life he is praying to glorify you in it. So I confess that I have not lived that way. And I ask, Lord, that you would move in my heart and you would move in the heart of my friends, that we would live lives that glorify you because we are in awe of the cross. And so now, Lord, as we raise our voices, we raise them to the King of glory. who deserves all praise and honor all the days of our lives. And we give that to you now. In your name I pray, amen. Amen, church, would you stand with us? Let's learn these, uh, this song together and make it a prayer. Lord, it's all for your glory all for your name. There's just one chief and two men's purpose and one main reason for existence
Your greatness soon will be uncovered And all the earth will then know And all the earth will then know For you alone will be exalted in that day goals will be exposed as idols that we've made for you alone will be exalted in that day and you'll be seen as rightful king from our hearts will
So I want to invite you to have a seat. So we come to the table of glory. This table that Jesus uh, brought his disciples to for a meal. As he gathered them, he, he presented this idea of doing something in remembrance of him. Of him living a life of, of glory and him living a sacrificial life and that he was going to be shedding his blood and his body was going to be broken for you and me. And so he brings us to this table. If you're a follower of Jesus, then this is a table for you to remember that beauty. If you're trying to figure this whole thing out about who Jesus is and you're just not sure about it, I want to encourage you during this time just to sit back and observe. It's okay to do that. Maybe for some of you, you have kids with you. And I want to encourage you to use this as a time to talk. It's okay to spend time explaining some things. So as you take the bread and you take the cup, may we remember the symbolism of what Jesus has done for us. So as you came in, you, uh, I hope you picked up uh, the containers there. So I want to invite you to take that and to peel back the top of it. And there you find the bread. In Matthew 26, Jesus uh, had the disciples, and it says this. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, thanks in his last hours, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So as he sat with his disciples, he's going through these moments, he ends up taking a cup. And he takes the cup and, and again, the text says, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Father, we remember. We remember because you told us to remember this, this meal and because this is the time that you were most glorified. Thank you for willingly letting your body be broken, shedding blood so that we may be united with God the Father. We give you glory at your table. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing to the God of glory and 
celebrate the cross that made a relationship with him possible. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came a word from a throne of endless glory to
Amen. Well, as you leave, may we remember that we've been given our assignment. May we be a church and disciples who live passionately to give glory to God the Father. Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent to give glory. Have a great week living for him. Thanks for worshiping with us.